Amen. God is good. And all the time. You know, the, the wonderful thing about, about this Christian walk, about this Christian experience is um, you, never, you never get a word from God um, just, just for the fun of hearing that word, you know? It's not one of those things, you know, where someone, someone just gives you sort of information just, just because, just because, just and je, you know? It's not, it's not that kind of vibe when you're walking with Jesus. Um, when you get a word from him, um, it's usually for yourself, or it's usually for others, um, and you're almost certain that you'll go through, you'll go through the word, you'll walk through the experience. In other words, it's the fuel that's going to take you through whatever you're going to go through. And that's fantastic because literally what that means is whatever we're going through, whatever we're about to face, whatever trials, giants, um, situations, circumstances, um, literally by tapping into God, by tapping into his word, we resource ourselves. God equips us to be able to go through and to come out on the other side. Amen. So that's powerful. That's powerful. The title of my message this morning is Lighting Up the Way. Lighting up the way. This is not in any way any reference to, to ESCOM, to HCOM, or to any of the other uh, SOEs. Um, this is literally what the Lord has laid on my heart for a time such as this. And, and you know what? Maybe, maybe it's good that we're going through day what? Day 11? I've even lost count. Day 11 of successive load shedding events. Um, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's great, Right? Come on, guys, this is where we're like, yeah, no, it's great, it's great, it's great. It's wonderful, like two, two to three times a day, unless you live in Newcastle, apparently. So weird. Newcastle, KZN, they don't experience load shedding. Very interesting. Very forward-thinking mayor. Unfortunately, I think he was also just recently had a bit of a run-in with the law, but, but never mind. Very forward-thinking mayor. You know what I mean? You, you, you've got to... So, so what you have to do with, with politicians, you have, to, you have to take the meat and you have to throw away the bones, right? So very forward-thinking mayor, you know, he thought about his people. Um, so they don't experience load shedding. Whereas we have it, I literally experience it three times a day. Twice at home and one at work. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, and so maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's good timing that we're going through this load shedding because... Um, God is saying something about lighting up the way. God is saying something about keeping the light burning. God is saying something about what you'll need in order for whatever dark situation you may be going through right now or you may be facing or that's, or that's literally around the corner, um, what is it that's going to allow you to have the light that you need that's going to take you through that moment, that temporary moment of darkness? And so let's, let's, let's get stuck in. You know how I am. My introductions are often very, very short. This one's a little bit long, though. So this is my introduction. Let's go. It's God's love that sets us free. It's the love of God that sets you and I free. We are free because of his love. We all know this. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Um, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's because of God's love, because he loved us. He loved the unlovable. He loved us when he had no guarantee that we would, so to speak, return the favor, that we would ever turn from our wickedness and actually follow him and actually obey him. He loved us when we were literally covered with a multitude of sin. Because he is love, 
God says that love covers a multitude of sin. And so the reason you and I have been set free is intrinsically connected to the love of God. John chapter 8 and verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's not just the song that Israel sings. Um, really, it's, it's in his word. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You've been set free. If you're here this morning and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and your personal Savior, then you have been set free. And not just free, but free indeed. Ephesians 3 and verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So we are already operating in that space where we don't have to wait for the holy hired man from the north in order for us to have that one moment where we can confidently approach God through that holy man. No. That's not the time, that's not the dispensation that we live in. We're living in a time and in a dispensation that's so exciting where you and I, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ can freely and confidently access the throne. Freely and confidently access Jesus because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We're free to access him directly without anyone, without any other go-between simply because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that bridge, that divide has been closed. That's amazing. That's powerful. Salvation in Christ does not only save us from eternal damnation, but also sets us free from our previous bondage to sin and to death. Remember the scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And so when we become saved, when we give our hearts to the Lord, not only are we saved from eternal damnation, but we also become set free from our previous bondage, as well as making us free to worship the God whom we were created to worship in the first place. So the space that you're operating in right now is a space of freedom. You have the freedom to worship the God who's created you. You've got the freedom to bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You bless not the God out there, but the God living on the inside of you. You've got that type of freedom. You've got that license, that permission to worship him freely. Galatians 5 and verse 1. You want to just jot these down very quickly because I want to sort of quickly run through my intro. Galatians 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. So now that you've been set free, now that you've been set free by Jesus Christ himself, there's something you have to do. There's a role that you have to play. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know what this tells me? What this tells me is... Um, I can be free today, and tomorrow I can find myself in bondage. I can be serving the Lord today, and a few weeks down the line, you'll bump into me at the spa, and you'll be like, Stuart, there's something different about you. What's, what's going on? And, I'll, and I can really be like, ah, you know, that church thing, it's not for me, brother. You can be born again serving Jesus. Worship him, worshiping him, lifting up holy hands in one moment. And over a period of time, because of 
a number of things. Maybe allowing uh, the enemy to oppress you. Maybe allowing yourself to become neglectful concerning the gathering of the saints. Maybe allowing yourself to take offense to something that someone did or didn't do to you. Stuart did or didn't greet me this morning. And then six weeks later, we don't see you in the service anymore. And then we wonder what's happened. Where are you? What's gone wrong? So because of this reality, I, I sort of I had to ask myself the question. Because I don't want to be standing in front of Jesus on, on that faithful day. And I don't want, after having preached to you, the way that I'm preaching to you now, I don't want to stand in front of my maker, my creator, my Lord and my savior, and for, for me to say, Lord, Lord, and for him to turn his back and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Right? Because that can happen. That's a possibility. So how do I stop that from happening? How do I get to make sure that I do not let myself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery? Can a lack of knowledge lead us back into bondage? That's the question I asked myself. Stuart, can a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge lead me back into bondage? Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, reading from the Amplified. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not just any kind of knowledge, but of knowledge of my law where I reveal my will. Knowledge of my law, knowledge of my word where I reveal my will. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Because you, the priestly nation, have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Not only are we perishing, or not only do we have the possibility to perish because of a lack of knowledge, but it's exactly confirmation of what I just shared with you now, that it's possible, it's possible for God to reject us because we decided at some point in time that we would reject knowledge. Not just any kind of knowledge, because there's all sorts of knowledge, there's all sorts of information, there's all sorts of data out there. We live in an information highway type of, type of dispensation. There's all sorts of knowledge out there. And you can acquire and acquire all sorts of knowledge. You can end up, I've said this before, you can end up having more degrees than a thermometer. You can acquire knowledge. Knowledge is out there. I'm not just talking about any kind of knowledge. I'm talking about the knowledge of his word, the knowledge of his law, where his will for my life is revealed. Where God's will for my life is revealed. Why is God's word so important? It is in his word that his will is revealed. God's will for my life is found in the pages of his holy scriptures. Proverbs 5 and verse 23, he will die for lack of instruction or discipline. And in the greatness of his foolishness, he will go astray and be lost. May this never be said of me one day. Yes, we knew Stuart, we knew him very well. Nice guy, yellow bone, quite a friendly, friendly type of guy, you know, full of jokes. He always had something, something nice to say. 
Um, but unfortunately, he died for lack of instruction. He walked with us. No, he, he came to this church. In fact, he sang and he played in this very venue. Yeah, he was the guy behind the drums. But somewhere along the line, something happened to him in his spiritual walk with Jesus. Somewhere along the line, he died. What happened? He died for a lack of instruction. He, he died for a lack of discipline. And in the greatness of his foolishness, he went astray and eventually he was lost once again to the world. I find instruction and discipline in God's word. Without that instruction and discipline, I end up going astray and being lost to the world once again. How many men and women who were once mightily used by God have gone astray and become lost, all because of a lack of instruction and discipline? It is often said that it matters not how you start your race. It would have been nice to have Pastor Tracy here. She could have bore witness to this. It matters not how you start your race, but how you finish. In finishing, make sure that you finish strong after having run the race set before you with patience. There can be no true freedom. We spoke about whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But I'm here to challenge us this morning that there can be no true freedom without instruction. There can be no true experience of what it is to be free in Christ without guidance, without discipleship, without following God's revealed will and plan for your life. You can't just be free for free sake, for freedom's sake. You have to be free and in his word, in his will, in his instruction, in his guidance, in his discipleship. It's in his word that we obtain direction and know which path to choose, whether to stay or go. And what pitfalls to be cognizant of. If a lack of knowledge brings death, then an abundance of knowledge of God's word is one of the key ingredients to living an abundant life in Christ. Galatians 5 verse 13 to verse 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. How can that be? How can I be one of those called to be free, yet I use my freedom to indulge my flesh? That happens when I'm walking around with a lack of knowledge. I'm like a ticking time bomb. You know, like a, like a two liter of milk has got an expiry date on it. The longer I continue to linger in that sphere and in that space of having a lack of knowledge of God's word, of God's way, and of God's will and his plan and his instruction over my life, I'm like a two liter of milk coming ever, 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 ever closer to my expiry date. And sooner or later, I'll end up indulging the flesh. The scripture says, Rather serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where will you hear that? 
Where will you read that? Where will you find that out? Where will you know how to treat your brother or your sister sitting next to you? How will you know how to treat your neighbor? One day when you have some time, have a conversation with Brother Jimmy, and I've encouraged him to come and share his testimony of what has transpired over the past number of years, Brother Jimmy, concerning himself and his neighbor. One thing I would do if I had a hat on my head is I'd literally take my hat off to Brother Jimmy. Because what do you do? What do you do when the person living right door, right next door to you, as we say in the community, front opposite of where I stay? Yeah, you guys think I don't know these things. It's fine. But what do you do when you open your front door and the person who's looking at you from front opposite of you is looking at you with malice, is looking at you with hatred, is coming at you aggressively, physically wanting to confront you. What do you do when that's your neighbor? Where did Jimmy learn? Where did Jimmy know? How did he know that he needed to love his neighbor as he loves himself? Where did Jimmy know? How did he know not to retaliate physically? How did he know that? Talk to him one day. Don't just talk to him about his muscles. Talk to him one day. Have a chat with him. How do you know how to treat your neighbor when your neighbor's ill-treating you? The only place I find this is in his word. Nowhere else. There's a freedom that seeks to, to indulge itself, to self-indulge, and to indulge the flesh and it's got no interest in loving or serving his fellow brother or sister in Christ, let alone his neighbor. This is not the freedom that we've been called to. How then do we ensure that we are free in Christ, living an abundant and bountiful Christian life, as opposed to being seemingly free, yet being so self-indulgent and led by the flesh? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Tell the person next to you, this is still his introduction. Don't sound so sad. Amen. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, that's everybody here. Amen. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous model and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. When we receive Jesus, when we received him as our Lord and Savior, there was a spiritual awakening that took place. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but then it was like the scales were removed from our eyes, spiritually speaking. And we could now literally see Satan for who he really was and who he really is. We saw him we saw behind the smiles, we saw behind the smoke and mirrors, we saw behind the lights and the entertainment, and we saw him for what he is, the father of lies. And so when that spiritual awakening took place, as new creatures, we were able to go through a process of learning to, to now recognize that actually our behavior now needs to change. 
The things I used to do, I do them no more. And so the process began. When we would mess up, as we all do, we're human after all. But when we would mess up, now we were not no longer this dead, cold, lifeless being. But now we had a conviction from the Holy Spirit. And now we, now we knew and we understood that actually that's not the way we want to live our lives. We now, after our spiritual awakening, are now living after the Spirit and no longer living after the flesh. And so our behavior changes. We live according to the Spirit who is now living inside of us rather than living based on old habits or our past learned behaviors. We have moments where we mess up. And because of this, God allows us to understand that he does not condemn us. His word says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, like the good gardener that he is, he comes into the vineyard and he begins to prune us. And we get discipleship. And we learn and we grow. And we drink from the milk of God's word at first the basic fundamental teachings, and then we become stronger and we grow in Christ. And then we begin to eat from the meat of his word, the deeper teachings of God's word. This is the journey. This is the process. This is the walk. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 to verse 3. However, brothers and sisters, I could not talk to you as spiritual people, but only as to worldly people dominated by human nature, mere infants in the new life in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it, and even now you are still not ready. You are still worldly. You're still being controlled by ordinary impulses and by the sinful capacity. For as long as there is jealousy and strife and discord among you, are you not unspiritual? And are you not walking like ordinary men, unchanged by faith? If you want a good litmus test for where you think you are, in your spiritual walk with Jesus, in your spiritual journey, and it is a journey, a good litmus test is to ask yourself, or to rather to pray to the Lord the way that David did, where he said, Lord, if there's anything that's inside of me that's not of you, expose it. Show me, Lord. A good litmus test is to say to the Lord, Lord, if there's any jealousy, strife, or discord within me, Lord, expose it. Lord, expose it, because that means I'm going in the wrong direction. That means I started off drinking milk from your word, and I got to a point where I was able to, to digest some meat, but now because of jealousy and strife and discord, I'm now, I'm now going backwards. I'm now regressing. I'm now, I'm now going back to the bottle, quote, unquote. The word milk in this passage of scripture comes from the Greek word gala, G-A-L-A, and means the basic elemental teachings of Christianity first learned by new believers. So every single one of us, every single one of us, who get to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For each and every one of us, there's a stage, there's a phase where we are literally drinking the gala, the milk of his word. 
The word meat is from the Greek word broma. And it simply means the deeper, more complete teachings of God's word. And for each and every one of us, we'll go through that phase as well. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. Like newborn babies, you should long for the pure milk of the word. If if you're at this stage, if you're in this phase where you've just received the Lord as your personal savior, where you're a newbie, where you're a newborn in Jesus Christ, then guess what? It's an exciting time for you. And for you, my encouragement to you is that you should long for the pure milk of the word. Long for it. Seek after it. Chase after it. Dig into it. Drink and have your fill. So that by it you may be nurtured and grow in respect to salvation. It's ultimate fulfillment. There's a time and a place for you to drink and be nourished and drink from the milk of God's word. Whichever phase or stage in your spiritual walk you happen to be in right now, whether you are currently feasting on the milk or the meat of God's word, my message to you is not about the milk and it's not about the meat. It's about the feasting of his word. It doesn't matter whether you are feasting on the milk of his word or the meat of his word. Please just feast. Desire the nourishment that comes from opening up his holy word and drink and eat and grow. Grow so that you can go. Grow so that you can go. You're not here to set up permanent residence here. There's an assignment that's been preordained, predestined, set out for you. There's stuff you need to do. You can't do by sitting and folding your arms. There's got to be a going. There's got to be an action. There's got to be a doing. Grow so that you can go. And you can do the things that God has called you to do. Amen. In what ways are we guided along this walk? His Holy Spirit, first and foremost, leads us and guides us. In Romans 8 and verse 14, we read that for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So when Jesus left, he said, guys, don't, don't, don't be anxious I'm not just going to leave and leave you just like that. After we've walked together all these years, I'm not just going to leave you without anyone. I'm going to leave. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you, to lead you, to teach you, to guide you. So we have God's Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us already. Also take a moment and just look around you. Just look around you, look around you, look around you, look around you. Look behind you, look next to you, look on the other side of you. Can you see the friendly faces looking back at you, hopefully? This is one of the friendliest churches. If you are a visitor and you're here for the first time, this is one of the friendliest churches you'll find anywhere on God's green earth. Can someone say amen? Look around you because men and women of God, the people sitting next to you, behind you, and in front of you, are also here to lead and guide and teach you to teach each other by instruction. And probably the greatest impact 
comes through the examples of the lives and the lifestyles that the men, men and women around you actually live. So you receive guidance and instruction by looking at the lifestyles of the people around you. And even though they're not perfect, what you should see, what I hope you see, is people who are pressing on, pressing in, pressing towards the prize for the mark of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus, not having attained perfection yet, but doing their best. When they fall, they get up. A righteous man falls seven times, but he continues to get up. Hopefully, when you look at their lives, that's what you see. Titus 2, verse 2 to verse 6. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. I don't know why the wine... Never mind, never mind. Verse 4. They can then teach or urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. Verse 5, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will, be, will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Can you see what's happening here? There's instruction happening, teaching happening, learning happening across the board. The older men, the younger men, the older woman, the younger woman. We learn from each other. We instruct, we teach each other in love and in endurance. But the basis for instruction, whether verbally or whether by example, is always alignment with God's word. I only teach you what is in his word. Similarly, I should only live out a life according to God's word. Anything that falls short of God's word is not truth and it's not the light. Anything that falls short of God's word is not the truth and it's not the light. That's the end of my introduction. Point number one. God's word makes me wise. God's word gives me wisdom. It makes me wise. Why, Stuart? Why, why should we look to the light of God's word to light up our lives? Well, I'm going to give you a few reasons. Point number one, God's word makes me wise. Psalm 119 verse 130, just by the way, um, your homework is just to read all of Psalm 119. Just read the whole psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, so you'll have fun. Just read the whole of, right? I can't go through all of it, but just read through the whole of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 130. The entrance of your word. The entrance of God's word gives light. I told you, I, I, I stated it emphatically, and I stand by what I say. Anything that falls short of God's word is not the truth, and it's not the light. Because according to his word, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. 
I'm not a complicated person. I'm quite a simple person. So I'm happy that I don't need to be on that level where I can understand very complex or complicated things. I can be me. I can be simple Stuart. I was going to say simple Simon, but I can be simple Stuart. But when his word comes into my life, it gives light and it gives me understanding. It gives me wisdom. It makes me wise. God's word increases your wisdom as he guides you by his holy word. One of the primary ways he gives us understanding is through his word. When you read and meditate on God's word like the man in Psalm 1, he gives you an understanding and a revelation and increases your level of wisdom. If you've ever prayed this prayer, and I've prayed this prayer more than once, especially in my younger days, if you've ever said, cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, please, Lord, if you did it for Solomon, you can do it for me. Please, Lord, instantaneously make me as wise as Solomon. I've prayed that prayer. Well, if you like me and you've prayed that prayer, guess what? Rather open up your Bible. Rather open up God's holy word and allow the entrance of his word to give you wisdom and understanding. Open up God's holy word. Meditate on his word. Dig in, tuck in, enter in. Indulge in his word. And allow the entrance of his word to give you wisdom. Point number two. You see how fast we're moving now, right? Point number two. God's word directs my steps. God's word directs my steps. Psalm 119 verse 133. Direct my steps by your word. Direct my steps by your word. And let no iniquity have dominion over me. We know that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. We know that. We say that. We sing that. We quote that. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. But according to Psalm 119, God orders my steps by his word. Very often, God will order or direct your or my footsteps by what is contained in his word. We often pray these prayers. We often pray for direction. We often do. I often do. I often pray, Lord, please direct me. Please give me the answer. Please show me which way to go. Oftentimes, the answer to that prayer of, Lord, which way should I go? Which way should I turn? Should I stay or should I go? Often the answer to that prayer can be found in his word. Because by his word, he orders my footsteps. We often pray for prayer. We often pray for direction, sorry. When the answer is laying on our nightstand, and it just requires that we dust off that old King James Bible and get stuck into God's word. Like a lighthouse that warns the ship's captain of danger, 
in order to give him sufficient time to correct his course and keep his ship clear of the rocks and the shallows, so too God's word is the light that keeps our spiritual lives of the rocky, shallow, and treacherous places of life. In the same way that a lighthouse shines out that light, signaling to the captain of the ship that's approaching to be careful, to be aware, to watch out for the shallow waters, for the rocky waters, for the treacherous waters, in the same way that that is the purpose of that lighthouse, in the very same way, the entrance of God's word and the light that it brings warns you and I, keeps us off the shallow, rocky places of life in the very same way. If you happen to put me in a ship in the middle of the ocean, I'll be okay, actually. You may, not, may or may not know that about me. I've been on the ocean quite a couple of times and, and I don't have any problem with it. I don't, I don't get that, what's that, motion sickness? I don't get that. So I love being on the ocean. I'll be okay. Put me in a ship in the middle of the ocean. Put me in a boat in the middle of the ocean. I'll be okay. I've got my sea legs, as sea people like to say. I've got my sea legs. But whatever you do, don't put me in a ship or put me on a boat that does not have a rudder. Don't put me in a boat without a rudder. You know what a rudder is? A rudder is that small little small little planky looking thing at the back of the boat. It's very small. You may not even notice it. You may, when you're looking for it, you'll probably see the engine, but you may actually miss the rudder. But as small as it is in comparison to the rest of the boat, and even more so in comparison to the rest of the ship, without that rudder to direct that massive ship, that ship will literally be directionless. No matter how the captain steers in a particular direction, without an active working rudder, he's going nowhere slowly. I'm here to say to us this morning, without the light of God's word in our lives, no matter how massive your calling no matter how great the destiny and the plans that God has over your life, no matter how many lives you're meant to touch and change by God using you as his vessel, no matter how fantastic the purpose and the destiny, without the entrance of the light of God's word, you're going nowhere slowly. You're like a ship lost at sea drifting around aimlessly. When we read God's word, we stay connected to him. He lovingly stays one step ahead to keep us on the right path, to help us avoid pitfalls, to help us avoid snares, to help us avoid serpents and vipers lying in wait, to expose the enemies lying in wait in the dark and in the dead of night, waiting to ambush us, waiting to kill us. Point number three, God's word illuminates my path. Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light 
to my path. This is what God's word is to us. We're talking about lighting up the way. Literally what God's word is, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine. For you, O Lord, are my lamp. The Lord illumines and dispels my darkness. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to have darkness and light coexisting right alongside each other. If you in the middle of this room and it's pitch black darkness, it means there is no light. If you're standing in the middle of this very same room and there is no darkness, it means there's light. The two cannot mix. The two cannot coexist together. In fact, light dispels darkness. When light shows up, darkness flees. God's light, the light of his word, also dispels the darkness, but it goes much further than that. Because his word also leaves those enemies who are lying in wait. It leaves them powerless, and it leaves them unable to cause you or I any type of harm. The light of God's word literally creates a shield around us, a hedge of protection. Psalm 119 Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. You are my refuge, my safe place to run, and you're also my shield from the fiery darts of the enemy. And I've put my hope in your word. Psalm 18 verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. He shields all who take refuge in him. Today, and for this past week, more than ever before, more than we've ever experienced it before, well, for as long as I've been alive anyway, we've come to realize just how important, just how critical, just how crucial electricity is. We've experienced it more than we've ever experienced it before. Day after day after day, we realize just how important electricity is. And especially, especially the load shedding that happens from 11 p.m. to 1.30 in the morning. Especially the load shedding that happens from 9 p.m. till 11.30 p.m. Especially the load shedding that happens when the sun has gone down. And when there's darkness around. Because it makes you more aware than you've ever been before how much you need the light. It's only when you're standing in the midst of the darkness and there's no light to be found anywhere that you realize just how much you need the light. It happened to me so many times, more than once, more than once since the load shedding started. Sometimes the app is reliable, sometimes it's not reliable. Most times it's not reliable. And so you, you're busy doing your stuff, you're busy doing something, you might have something in the microwave, when all of a sudden, 
You've been there, right? That's why, that's why. That's a laugh of acknowledgement. You understand. You empathize. You sympathize. You, you get me. You know exactly where I'm coming from. The eggs are not yet warm. The, 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 the piece of meat that's in the microwave is still in that funny phase that needed one more minute, but suddenly, dish. No lights, no ESCOM. And suddenly you realize just how dark it is when there's no light. And so it's happened to me a number of times. And you know that I've got a three-year-old son and he leaves his stuff all over the show. His trucks are here, his, his little table and chairs is there and you have to jump over a, a, a toy dog to, to get past a toy car. And then there's some sort of vuvuzela flute thing and there's another trumpet thing. So I've, I've, I've tramped on stuff, I've kicked my toe. I've, it's happened to me, it's happened to me more than once in the past few days. In the absence of the light, you don't see the obstacles that are in front of you. In the absence of light, you're unable to see the obstacles, the barriers, the pitfalls, the serpents, the vipers, the enemies lying in wait. Let's just go back to quote-unquote Bible times. What do you think they did when the sun set? Because remember, there, there literally was no electricity, right? There was no electricity there. So all they had, if you wanted to do anything at night, in the middle of the desert, in and around your little camp, what you had to do was you had to get yourself a little clay, usually clay, lamp, and it looked, basically looked like a bowl, right? That's what it looked like. You had to get yourself one of those, and hopefully you had some oil to pour in there, and hopefully you had a wick. You know what the wick is, right? It's the part that you actually light. I almost did this. No, they didn't have lighters. It's the part that you light, right? That's where the, that's where the flame sits. So if you wanted to be able to do anything at night in the middle of the desert, back in, the, back in Bible times, you either had a, a lamp to walk around with, to be the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. If you didn't have one, then, then you were really taking a huge risk. You were taking a huge risk because there's a number of obstacles that, would have, that you would have encountered. Number one, when it's, when it's dark out at night and you're in the middle of the desert, more than likely there are one of a number of pit, pits, literally pits, right? So that's where the word pitfall comes from. There are a number of pits in and around the camp. I'm sure some of you can think what some of those pits were used for, right? We, in South Africa, we still have pit toilets today, right? So we know what one of the uses would have been for, right? Ablution facilities, as Pastor Tracy likes to say, right? So th there could have been a pit, and most likely was a pit, in and around the camp for you to be able to do your business, right? Man-made. You make it yourself. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? Come on, I'm, I'm not the only one. On my late grandfather's farm, they, ha they, they still have, as far as I know, a pit toilet, a bucket system. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right, we all know. Okay, good. Right? So, if you're walking around in the middle of the night without a lamp, you can do the math, right? So there's pits around the camp. In and around the camp, remember, this is not, 
you, you, you need to ch change your way of thinking. Because I can see you guys are thinking like uh, lush and green grass, like, you know, some, like a golf tee, you know, like a golf range. Like everything is flat and smooth and, you know, no, 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 no. Remember, there would have been boulders, there would have been rocks, there would have been stones. And all you have is your Jesus sandals, right? Right? So there you are like Stuart in the middle of the desert bumping his toe, but instead of kicking uh, a little toy car, you're kicking some huge boulder that you forgot was even there. Right? This is your environment. So you've got, a, you've got pits all around you. You've got boulders, rocks, and stones. And now, <laughs> surprise, surprise, guess what becomes very active when the sun goes down? Snakes and scorpions. Not just snakes, but scorpions too. Right? When do they become active? When do they hunt? Snakes don't like to be busy during the day when the sun is hot. They're under a rock somewhere trying to get some, some shade and trying to keep cool. But in the middle of the night, that's when they do what they do. That's when they're on the hunt. And so once again, there you are, in the middle of the desert, somewhere in Israel, walking around without your lamp, and you in, start to encounter snakes and scorpions. You still with me? You still think you don't need the light? No, I can see. I can see. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> if snakes and scorpions were not bad enough. If you happen to be in the situation that David found himself in, where he literally had someone hunting him, looking for him, trying to kill him, then there you are walking around in the middle of the camp without your lamp, without your light, and there are your enemies, your assassins, hiding behind the bush. They've been there for a while. They were literally waiting for the sun to go down because they know this is not centurion. When the sun goes down, there is no light. And so they they've been laying in wait with their weapons drawn, waiting for the moment when you decided that you'd walk around the camp without a lamp and without a light. And so the enemy who seeks to kill you now has his moment as you walk around without a light. Let's bring it back home. In this spiritual walk, on this spiritual journey, you won't fight like David did against flesh and blood. You won't have that fight. You shouldn't have that fight. But you will fight against principalities and powers and wickedness and darkness in high places. You will have that fight in the spirit realm. What will you do without your lamp? What will you do without the light of God's word? How will you even know what to say? What will you say when the enemy stares you in the, in, full on in, in your face, face to face? I want you to say man to man, but that, that won't work. But what will you do? When you're looking the enemy in the eyes and he's looking back at you and he's standing in front of you like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What will you do without your light? What will you do without his word? Point number four.
God's word is my guarantee of victory. We love to sing the song, Victory Belongs to Jesus. We love to sing it. Powerful, powerful, powerful song. And we have, we literally have, we are assured of our victory because we are in Christ. Because he's already won the victory. On our behalf, for us. But how do I guarantee my victory day after day, day after day, moment after moment, challenge after challenge, trial after trial, tribulation after tribulation, storm after storm? When the enemy comes in, how do I know? How do I speak God's word? How do I dispel darkness and say, according to his word, like a flood, the Holy Spirit comes in and raises up a standard. How do I know to say that if I haven't been nourished by the milk and the meat of his word? 2 Samuel 5, verse 18 to verse 20. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord. In other words, he prayed. And this is what David says. He asks God two questions. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Question number one. Question number two. Will you deliver them into my hands? The Philistines have arrived. They're on the scene. They've spread out in the valley. And David goes and he prays before the Lord and he asks him two questions. Shall I go and attack the Philistines and will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go. That's the answer to his first question, go. Answer to his second question, I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. Verse 20, so David went. So David went to Baal Perizim, and there he defeated the Philistines. He said, as waters that break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that, and, and so that place was called Baal Perizim, or the Lord of the Breakthrough. Here's a few keys that I want to share with you. Keys to David's victory in this situation. Firstly, he asked God. He inquired of the Lord. The scripture says, ask and you will receive. The scripture also says, you have not because you ask not. How, how do we get the victory? How do we ensure, how do we guarantee that we will always have the victory? First and foremost, ask. Inquire of the Lord. Ask and you will receive. If Someone who's not born again, a dad, a father who's not born again, who doesn't know agape love, knows how to give good gifts to his children. How much more your heavenly father, when you ask, how much more will he not shower you with the good gifts that you ask him for? Ask and you will receive. Secondly, his inquiry was very specific in its detail. He wanted to know two very specific questions. Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Shall I leave the place where I am right now, go to that place where the Philistines are, 
the people I'm speaking about are the Philistines. Shall I leave this place, go to that place, face the Philistines and attack them? Very specific. Lord, will you, because I can see that I'm not able to do it in and of myself, Lord, will you deliver them into my hands? The scripture says, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Be specific about what you're asking God. Don't beat about the bush. Don't pray amiss. Pray for God to give you answers to very specific questions. And he will answer you. Thirdly, he listened. He listened. How do I know that he listened? We know that David listened because we see that he was then able to act on what he heard God say. If he was not listening for an answer, he would never have heard what God had to say and he would never have acted. But David listened. Many of us ask the questions. We get that far. We get as far as asking God the questions and then we walk away. We pose the question, we inquire of the Lord, but then we leave it there and we walk away. As if a conversation between ourselves and God is a one-way street where all we do is talk, 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 make our, make our petitions, make our requests known and God doesn't get a chance to respond because we walk away. We don't wait for an answer. You see, when we wait on the Lord, I'm talking about opening up his word. The scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When we wait upon the Lord and when we meditate on his word, we are actively listening for the voice of God. Waiting is not pass passive at all. Waiting on the Lord is active. You're actively listening. You're waiting for an answer. You're searching the scriptures. Lord, I've made some requests. I've made some inquiries. I'm now searching your word. I'm now meditating upon your word to find an answer. To give you the opportunity to speak to me through your word. I'm waiting. I'm listening for the voice of God. There's no point in asking the question if you're not prepared to wait on the answer. Sometimes we ask the, the question just to tick the box, just to perform the lip service as it were, so that we can comfort ourselves that we did actually ask, we did actually ask God, we did actually bring it before the Lord. But no sooner that our question, or our request, or our inquiry has gone up to heaven, immediately thereafter we are already implementing the plan that we had all along. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death and destruction. If you've asked God which way to go, then I implore you this morning, please wait for his answer. Fourth, David acted in faith based on God's words. David was obedient to God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. David had his faith activated when he heard God's word and then he acted on that faith because we know that faith without works is dead. And so he did exactly what God told him to do. And then lastly, 
as a key to his future victories, I believe. As a key to his future victories. You see, David, David wasn't naive enough to think that this battle, this fight against the Philistines would be his first and last. And that he would never ever go to war again. He was not that naive. He had the foresight to realize that after this victory, there'd be another battle. There'd be another fight. There'd be another enemy. And so I believe as a key to his future victories, David then does something profound and he acknowledges God as being the one who delivered the enemy into his hand. He doesn't, after defeating the Philistines, walk around with his chest puffed out, singing, what an amazing guy I am. What an amazing warrior I am. Look how I defeated the Philistines. But I believe as a key to his next victory and his next victory, he acknowledges his source. He acknowledges that it's God who's delivered the Philistines into his hands. What battles are you caught up in the midst of right now? I'm not even asking you, are you going through some battles right now? I'm asking you, what battles are you definitely caught up in the midst of right now? What battles are waiting for you around the corner? What medical diagnosis? What doctor's report? What financial forecast? What snare? What trap? What stumbling block? What pitfall? What decision that needs to be made concerning the future of your family? Have you consulted God's word? If you ask him the questions, he will give you the answers. He is a God who answers when we call. Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save you. Nor is his ear so impaired that it cannot hear. Our God is a living, breathing, doing, speaking, hearing, victorious God. And when you ask, his ear is not so impaired that he cannot hear you. And when he answers, be encouraged. Because when God says yes, nobody else can superimpose a no on top of his yes. So I encourage you this morning, search his word and ask him the questions. Because he's a God who answers and he answers through his word. If God's word is a source of his light to us, my question to you this morning why do we so rarely open it up? If we know that God's word is a source of his light in our lives, why do we so rarely open it up? Matthew 5 and verse 15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. God knew that we would need proper guidance to help us maneuver through life safely and securely. He tells us in many ways, seen throughout the scriptures, that the word of God is to be our navigational tool, our GPS, as it were. It's to be our guide for our entire lifetime. The written word of God 
is to be like our compass and the living word of God that's Jesus himself is like our very own personal navigator saying, go left. In 100 meters, turn right. Young man, young person, you have so many questions about how to stay on the path of purity. I encourage you this morning. You'll find the answer in his word. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. There's no question that you and I have where you will not find the answer in his word. If God's word is the light, even as Brother Paul comes up, if God's word is the light, which it is, how do we radiate, how do we radiate God's light? Deuteronomy chapter 6, reading verse 6 to verse 8 from the Amplified Bible, these words, God's words, which I am commanding you today, shall be written on your heart and on your mind. You shall teach them diligently to your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truths. And shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And you shall bind these words as a sign on your hand or on your forearm and they shall be used as bands on your forehead. So the answer to the question if God's word is the light, which it is, how do, we how do we radiate God's light? By taking God's word and living it out. By placing it in our hearts. By speaking it on our lips on a daily basis. By eating its meat and drinking its milk. By breathing it in. By meditating upon it day and night. By delighting in its precepts. By listening to and obeying its instruction. And by having God's word being a part of every single area and every single aspect of our lives. And our children's lives in everything we do. Both spectacular and mundane. Can we all stand this morning? The entrance of his word gives light. No matter what darkness you may have faced, you may be facing, or that you may face in the future, No matter on how many separate occasions the enemy comes and stands in front of you and roars at you and tries to instill fear inside of you, God's word will always dispel that darkness. The way that Jesus, in the middle of the desert, got rid of Satan was he kept referring back to God's word. He kept saying over and over and over again, it is written. The way to get rid of Satan, the way to get rid of darkness, the way to avoid pitfalls, vipers, serpents, predators, scorpions, 
the way to avoid injury along this very long journey, along this spiritual walk, is to constantly live and dwell and meditate upon His Holy Word. Light up the way. As you walk along this journey, light up the way. Light up the way from Genesis to Revelation. Light up your life with God's Word. Don't neglect it. Don't take it for granted. Don't wait for a Sunday morning for some man or some woman of God to give you but a taste of His Word. But earnestly desire and pursue day after day from Monday to Sunday to drink and eat of the milk and of the meat of His Holy Word. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, if there's anyone here You've sat throughout the service and throughout the service there's been this, 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 this question on your mind, this feeling in your heart, this uncertainty. Am I really born again? And maybe you've even answered the question for yourself. Maybe you even know. You've, all, you've already had this discussion internally within yourself and you've already said, you know what, I know that I'm not in the place where I need to be. I know that I'm not in the place where I should be. I know that I'm not living the life that I ought to be living. I'm not living all out for Jesus Christ. I've backslidden. Like that verse of scripture that says, do not allow yourself to be destroyed. I've allowed myself to be destroyed. I tasted freedom before, but somehow I find myself in a backslidden state, far from Jesus. If that's you this morning, and you want to recommit your life to Jesus, then I'm giving you this, this opportunity. With every head bowed and every eye closed, with nobody looking around, I'm giving you this opportunity to come back to Jesus, to come back home, to indicate just by lifting your hand wherever you are. Wherever you are, just lift your hand. Maybe you've never ever known Him. You've never ever had this relationship with Him. You don't know what it is to follow Jesus, but you want to try Him. You want to taste Him and see that He is good. You want to serve Him. You want to follow Him. You want to be able to begin this journey of, of drinking from the milk of His Word. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, wherever you are, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just indicate just by lifting your hand so I can see who you are. If there's anyone, 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 anyone here this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for for these, your precious saints, every single one of them, washed in the blood of Jesus, born again, redeemed, brought back, back into the fold. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Sanctified and set apart for your good works. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word that's gone forth this morning, Lord, it will find favorable soil within which it's able to germinate and bring forth life bring forth fruit, bring forth abundance. May it not be snatched away, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. But may it find good soil and may it produce much fruit 
in each and every one of our lives. Lord, even as we leave this place, Lord, even as we go our separate ways, but never ever from you and never ever from your presence, be with us, Lord. Keep us and guide us. We remember those who've lost their lives during the course of this week, Lord God. Even those very close to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are alive and well. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even one day when we do leave this earthly plane, we go to be with you for all eternity. And that's something to rejoice about. And so, Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the thanksgiving. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.